Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Mandy Savoka. Mandy is Legal Operations Technology Lead at Block and has over 13 years of experience in legal ops. Mandy, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. We might start at the beginning, Mandy. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? Sure. I grew up in one of the happiest cities in America. It's voted as one. It's a suburb about an hour away from San Francisco called Fremont, California. My entire family still lives there, and I moved about an hour away from there now. Okay, so not too far from home. And how would you have described yourself as a kid? Shy, introverted, uh, very quiet, very tomboyish. I wanted to be very much so like my brother. I think I looked up to him a lot. So if he was skateboarding, snowboarding, I wanted to do the same. And moving forward a little bit then, you're obviously an experienced legal ops leader now. And the start of that legal ops journey, I know you had early experiences in, in kind of contracts manager roles as somebody maybe who was more shy and introverted as a kid, what were those kind of early experiences like in those roles? And what are the kind of key learnings you, you took away from them? I learned a lot from negotiations. So when I was drafting agreements and negotiating the terms, I think it gave me some of that confidence that I really needed. So early on, I was doing contract data entry. I was working on these agreements. I was electronically scanning every document that we had um, to move companies into the 21st century. And I think it was challenging for me at first being shy and, you know, those first conversations when someone is not happy and is really, really confident in their answers and you're not so much. So you second guess yourself a little bit. I had time to build on that though. And I think it just took me time, age, experience to work on that. Were there any mentors that played an important role in your kind of development in those those early experiences you had? I had two bosses at Vision Home Healthcare, where I was a contracts manager for six and a half years. And they were a husband and wife couple. They moved here from the Philippines and they were amazing. The husband, um, who is still a really good friend of mine and his wife, the husband came over here and started working as a janitor. He worked really hard at Toshiba and started doing quality assurance there. His wife came over here and became an ICU nurse. And together they opened this business. They were a dynamic force and they pushed me really hard. So they wanted me to finish my degree, do everything I could in school, get good grades. They used to give me bonuses for A's And they would put my report card on the fridge. Just adorable and really encouraging. I've never experienced anything like that in my career. And a lot of my success, I feel like I owe to them. They sound like really, uh, really remarkable and inspirational people. That's incredible. You spoke about in your interview with legal operators was the importance your coding skills have played in your career as well. How did that come about in terms of kind of developing those skills firstly? And then secondly, what role have they played for you in your career in legal ops? Great question. I went to school to be an English teacher. 
I was set on that. And I started taking some coding classes while I was at San Jose State. And I ended up doing a boot camp because it became so much fun. And it really was going to be a side project. I was working as a contracts manager. I was getting more into the systems than I was the contracts themselves. And I started making mobile apps with my friends, building out websites. And I wanted to marry my two passions. So that found me in legal operations, being able to speak the language to IT and explain those requirements back to legal. It became so much easier when I had some of the basics of if and then models and building out some of those APIs and the configurations. I could speak both languages, which started really pushing my career in legal operations. What I love about speaking to legal ops leaders like yourself on, on the podcast is there's such a diversity of backgrounds and experiences and skill sets that people can bring to bear in the role. And, and I think what you articulated there, kind of almost acting as that translator between the legal team and the IT team is so important to kind of ensure that people are all on the same page and aligned. And I've seen a very similar dynamic, as I'm sure you have, in how legal ops can work with the finance team and understand what they're looking for and, and be that kind of conduit between uh, finance and uh, and legal. In fact, Steph Lamoureux, uh, one of your former colleagues, is somebody who, who uh, spoke with me at length about that. When you move then into that broader legal operations role, I think at, at OpenTable, what were the areas that you needed to focus on in terms of your own personal development, kind of having come from the kind of the contracts, domain expertise, understanding that really well, layering on top your coding experience, what were the other areas you felt you needed to develop to succeed in in a broader legal ops role? Project management. I think that was the biggest area that I needed to better understand. I started taking classes when I was at Kayak Open Table more on the project management side. We were actually building out a contract management system from scratch. And our IT team was building it. So it was more of a start of explaining those business requirements from legal to them. It was a very challenging project from building it from the ground up. But it is one of my most fond projects because it really challenged me to think outside the box and understand every single piece that was going to go into contract management. It was hard. We made a ton of mistakes. But we learned a lot out of it and we reiterated, we fixed our mistakes, kept learning, made better and better versions of the system and made it a success. And can you explain to me your peanut butter sandwich method for prioritizing your legal ops initiatives? You see, I've done, oh, I've done my sure homework, Mandy. <laughs> you really read the article. Yeah. Sure. So the way that I explain processes to different teams is I tell them that I want them to build me a peanut butter jelly sandwich. So you don't have the bread at home. You don't have the peanut butter. You don't have the jelly. You don't even have the knives. So how are we going to get all of those supplies? Are you going to first walk to the store? Are you going to drive to the store? Now, are you picking out what kind of bread? I need all of those little details to understand how your sandwich comes together. So what that means is we're starting at how do you get your legal requests? And then what happens? Do you respond via email? Are you responding via Slack? 
How are you communicating back to that team? And then every step along the way, I want to understand and really dive into the small details to better understand what I can automate along the way. And I think the easiest way for me to explain it to different people on different teams that maybe don't understand legal processes is that peanut butter jelly sandwich method. It's such a great analogy and something people can easily understand and and comprehend in ensuring you're getting that balance right of attention, meticulous attention to detail and the kind of end-to-end requirements to launch an initiative. And outside of the kind of contracts initiative you, you referred to a few minutes ago, are there any other projects that stand out to you that you're particularly proud of, either at OpenTable or Block, where, where that's proven very useful? I think ticketing has been a big one. When you're trying to build out workflows for different teams, really understanding who it's being routed to and what they want to automate along the way. There's been a lot of projects, uh, especially with AI recently, where people want to automate everything, but really don't understand what can be automated. So when they break out those little pieces, we can find a way to streamline as much as we can. It's a great point. And you've obviously referenced generative AI. It was certainly the buzzword and the the key topic at the Clock Global Institute. And there is obviously a kind of in the wider technology ecosystem, a kind of a sea change happening with the the potential applications it can bring. How are you kind of separating, as you say, the hype and the noise of the possibilities for automation and what is actually going to drive the most value for the business and and, and what, what is worth focusing on? So first we're leveling expectations. A lot of people believe that AI can do anything and everything. So we're trying to understand first, what do we want it to do. I think some of the low hanging fruit is typically automating self-serve. So are there frequently asked questions that we can have AI chatbots respond to? So it's funny that you asked that. I've been talking to a lot of people in this space about AI, how they want to use it, different use cases more recently, because it comes up a lot and really better understanding how many use cases are out there. I think we want these AI bots or AI built into systems to do so much for us that we may not be ready for that just yet. That's such a good point. And I think, yeah, there is a, a gap between expectation and reality right now. It's it's something here at Bright Flag we've been focusing on for almost a decade now and kind of using supervised machine learning AI to automate invoice review, provide insights and analysis around legal spend management and matter management. But it's obviously, there's been a step change this year in in the kind of general awareness. I think because people can just play with ChatGPT themselves and see what's possible. And I think we're, we're probably a little bit of a ways away from full robot lawyers or it uh, replacing the need for expensive external counsel for strategic legal work. But uh, nonetheless, the the possibilities are are really, really exciting. Uh, and kind of going back then to the kind of relationships that are most important for you and the stakeholders that are most important for you in, in your legal operations role, you obviously referenced your IT colleagues. Who are the other kind of key stakeholders that you really focus on developing relationships with and, and ensuring you're kind of aligned with? procurement, vendor security, privacy, compliance, sales, you name it. Every project brings in a lot of stakeholders. I think 
contract management and e-discovery have been the biggest because you're trying to pull in every person that manages a system for e-discovery, whether that be internally and externally and identifying those. And then with contract management, there are contracts all across the business. So for some of our larger projects, like procurement vendor agreements, we're looking at adding vendor security, privacy, compliance, all of the different stakeholders, as well as IT, to help us better understand what integrations we might want to build. But for one of our recent evaluations, we had, I want to say 37 stakeholders. And that's a lot. That's a lot of stakeholders. That's a lot of opinions. So we're level setting with them of tell us your basic requirements and then tell us your ideal state. If it did everything under the sun, what would that look like to you? So then we can ideally meet those minimum requirements and then shoot for the stars, see what else we might be able to mark off. And that's difficult, right? When you have that many voices around the table or cooks in the kitchen (laughs) and you're trying to get to the best solution. And how important is it to kind of bring it back to what are the overarching business objectives and problems we're trying to solve for in kind of not ending up with a kind of uh, unrealistic set of requirements for one technology initiative. I think it's understanding that system too Mm -hmm. and understanding what the gap is. Mm -hmm. So what is the current state of the process today? Mm -hmm. How are we doing this today? And what would we like it to do? What are we trying to solve for? So I explained the story to the different business stakeholders so that we all stay on the same page. We're all trying to solve for something very similar. Now, we may want it to do this, but does it do this today? Is it something that we absolutely need it to do? So I think there's certain things that people want. And when we discuss those processes and where it makes sense and try to meet people in the middle to a solution that works for everyone, But again, that comes with a ton of conversations and a ton of storytelling and a ton of realistic requirements. And do you find that in the kind of current economic environment with your finance colleagues in particular, there's a greater scrutiny around kind of ROI and being able to kind of validate that this is going to deliver efficiency gains or cost savings or substantive value that can be kind of objectively quantified? Oh, absolutely. We go over the team impact, the business impact, you know, really the return on investment Mm -hmm. and try to quantify the amount of hours Mm -hmm. each person would take uh, to do this if it was a manual process. Mm -hmm. And that's for every project I've been doing lately more than ever. So we did this before, but now it's even more important to go into the small details where I may have not written out every single piece of this project before, but now I'm really trying to have more people understand why these projects are so important. Yeah, 100%. We're certainly seeing a very similar trend ourselves uh, across our customer base. And how important then is it kind of for your team at Block to kind of leverage data to inform decision-making in in the kind of future strategy for, for the legal department? The most important. We actually recently hired for our team a data analytics specialist to work on some of those data dashboards and pull data from different systems. 
I think ticketing helped us kind of show how much time, what the volume was for just our team, the amount of requests we were getting. Mm -hmm. And we've been trying to expand on that. But there's data coming out of our e-billing system and our contract management system. We're trying to pull data from our entity management system, how many entities we have, quantifying that by how much work it takes Mm -hmm. to add new entities. So it's been it's been huge. And it's interesting. I was only talking to um, Mary O'Carroll at Ironclad about this earlier this week. And certainly our respective philosophies are legal departments are better served investing in a kind of best of breed technology, whether it's a CLM solution, e-billing and matter management solution, IP management solution, and kind of having the best platform to solve for those business objectives and then ensure that you're getting the, the reporting and the, the data you need at each of those systems rather than kind of trying to find one system to solve all those problems. Uh, I don't know what your perspective is on that, Mandy. Stephanie Lamoureux used to say this really well, but it was find a system that does their thing and does it well. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to do everything. Mm-hmm. So I think she echoed that so many times that it really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. So when a system tries to do everything and to keep up with the times and do things very quickly, they're not always the best solution. But when you really look at some of these systems that do one thing, mm-hmm. they have to do that one thing really well to succeed in this space. It's very competitive. And the systems that we've seen that have done well have focused on those and have tried to expand their systems. They listen to their customers. They're trying to provide more value. And it works for them. It works really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. That has been our philosophy here at Bright Flag and, and how we've gone about focusing on core e-billing requirements, whether it's invoice review automation, reporting, accruals, budgeting, matter management, and, and really focusing on having the best platform to solve for those specific problems rather than trying to go too broad. So uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Kind of shifting gears a little bit then, we touched on kind of the Clock Global Institute briefly, and I think you were you were there yourself, is that right, in, in Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah I was. we were chatting before we started recording. We didn't actually get to catch up in person there, but how important is, whether it's Clock or other communities within the legal ops ecosystem, how important are they for your, your development, for your learning? What value have they played for you in, in your career? It's been everything. I think many times we try to find experts in our field to help us along. And you can't always find that in legal operations in your own company when you're building out a legal operations team. So reaching out to some of these experts to better understand what they're doing, how it's going, what they've learned has been critical in my growth. So I talk to my peers a lot in the clock community and the legal operators community And some of this networking events have been really helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's always been challenging for me to speak out as a shy, introverted kid and collaborate with different people or public speak, so to say. And when I'm going to these different events, I think it's helped me come out of my shell a little bit because I am passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to work on different templates and learn from my peers. I'm still learning. I have a lot to learn. And without my peers, it would be much more difficult. 
yeah, it can be a somewhat lonely role within a, an organization where there aren't a huge number of people necessarily doing something very similar that and the community is both a support a support group and a, and a place for 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 learning and, and kind of shared innovation. And speaking of innovation, how important is it, do you think, that there are kind of diverse voices playing a role in legal innovation in terms of the kind of the profile of people who are contributing to new new solutions in the kind of different specialisms of, of legal ops? Diversity is really important. And the way that I look at it is if we all think the same, talk the same, look the same, how great are our products going to be? How great are our projects going to be? I really value my team. I think my team is very diverse in their ways of thinking, their ways of speaking. And what that does is challenge me. So they're not always going to agree and say, yeah, Mandy, great idea. A lot of times they say, well, I think of it this way. And maybe we can solve this by doing this. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we all put our thoughts and ideas on the table and we come up with a better solution because Mm -hmm. of it. But if they all just agreed with me and thought the same as me, spoke the same as me, I mean, our solutions wouldn't be anything that they are today. So I think that's probably the most important piece is having those different thoughts um, challenging each other. But obviously in a very professional and kind way, we're very patient with each other on that. And it has helped us come up with great solutions. It's one of one of our core values here at Bright Flag is embrace authenticity. And I think uh, a lot of our success has been built on something very similar, which is that diversity of backgrounds and perspectives and diversity in every sense of the word resulting in uh, a real business strength, as you as you so eloquently put it, in getting to the right solution and challenging each other in a, a inclusive and constructive way. Yeah, I think that's one of the wonderful things about the legal ops community as well is that it is so diverse. Final question for me, Mandy, you've been so generous with your time. I think I know the answer to this question, but what do you enjoy doing in in your free time to the extent that you have any at the moment? I spend a lot of time inside. So during my free time, my husband, uh, my seven-month-old son, my dog and I like to spend a lot of time outside. So um, we were surfers and scuba divers and snowboarders, and that's changed a little bit recently uh, with a seven-month-old and being a new mom. But we do try to get outside and hike and show our son new places and hopefully get him into some of the sports that we're into, but we'll see whatever his interests are. That's uh, amazing. And hopefully it it helps with this sleep as well. The fresh air never hurts in in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. He's been swimming lately, which has been really wow. cute. I'm teaching him to swim. That was actually one of my first jobs was being a swim school teacher. So. That's that's amazing. We're a little bit behind the curve with our three-year-old and four-year-old because of COVID. We were weren't able to bring them swimming for for quite a while. So we're we're actually off on holidays to Portugal this weekend, and I'll have lots of time. I think I'll be similarly in the in the swimming instructor role, but we'll have armbands and all the rest uh, on hand. But Mandy, thank you so, so much for your time. It's been wonderful catching up with you and uh, congratulations on the new member of your family, your son as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Bright Flag, an AI powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments 
gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.